0: Thank you and hello everyone. Welcome to our call on the dollar. My name is Sam Nazarello and I lead content strategy for global research. Today we're going to have a conversation on a very timely topic, dollar strength. So we're going to hit this from a few different vantages. We're going to discuss a framework for thinking about the dollar move to date and what to expect going forward, the impact on trade and inflation and financial conditions, and how large multinational companies are dealing with currency moves. So I'm very excited to bring together three researchers from across our department. Mira Chendon, who's the co-head of Global FX Strategy, Michael Faroli, who's our Chief US Economist, and Andrea Teixeira, an MD and Senior Equity Analyst covering beverage, household, and personal care products. Basically very large, multinational companies that have been feeling the acute dollar moves. So I wanted to start with Mira, whose team has been writing about American exceptionalism light and dynamics in currency markets right now. So, Mira, can you walk us through the framework, how you and the team are thinking about the dollar to date and what to expect going forward?
1: Sure, Um, and thanks, Sam, for organizing this call today. So, taking a step back, I think it's just worth thinking about the components that actually go uh, to make up uh, the dollar view. And uh, from our vantage point, there are two parts to that equation. Uh, The first one is what is going on in terms of growth, fundamentals, economic activity within the U.S., Uh, and the second one is what is going on outside the U.S. along those same dimensions. And, you know, one could clearly see that the most dollar-supportive environment would be one of pure U.S. exceptionalism, where both parts of the equation are working in the same direction, i.e., if the U.S., you know, is hitting it out of the ballpark in terms, of, uh, in terms of growth and the rest of the world is weakening, that would be pure US exceptionalism. Um, and that was, you know, parts of that is what we saw earlier in the year uh, in, in 2022. But now, you know, the point we've been making in our, in our publications is uh, that we have transitioned into an exceptionalism light regime. Uh, this is where the data in the US is softening as well uh, growth forecasts have been inching down and some of the uh, activity data has been uh, running out of steam. Uh, so clearly US is not hitting it out of the ballpark anymore. Uh, but the bigger dynamic and the more relevant one is that the rest of the world is in a highly vulnerable state. And that is still net-net dollar supportive. In particular, our focus has been on Europe uh, where negative uh, like real yields are highly negative. Uh, the ECD is constrained on how much it can actually do in terms of rate hikes. And there's a massive energy-dependent story uh, with an outlook, uh, basically, for a, for a recession. Uh, in China, it's been about slowing growth because of weak exports, softer housing, and uh, the 0 covid policy. And the environment, uh, as a result of this U.S. exceptionalism, light dynamic, is still net-net dollar supportive uh, and, and dollar bullish in our view. So in terms of specific targets, the two to keep in mind is a um, long-standing target for euro dollar, which we've been looking uh, for it to test 95 uh and you know we kind of briefly uh, broached those levels uh in the past week week and a half uh but certainly we are still sticking with our bearish euro dollar stance uh and dollar cnh where our uh, revised targets are now 740 and still long of dollar cnh
0: okay so then on the macro side or the macro impacts to the U.S. economy, Mike? You recently wrote a piece on trade and the dollar and how that was going to feed through to growth. Can you just talk us through that? What you found, and I guess the temporal aspect of it.
2: Uh, sure. Uh, so obviously, the dollar has been very strong, and when we look at it, for you know, for economists, we like to look at the real dollar, which is, or the real trade-weighted dollar, which is um, adjusted for relative inflation differentials. Uh, And that, depending on which index you use, um, is up quite a bit, uh, over 10%, perhaps as much as 15%. Uh, And uh, given that strength, uh, we expect that that alone should drag uh, down the level of GDP growth over – level of GDP, I'm sorry, over time by at least one and a half percentage points. Uh, And we haven't really seen any of that yet. In fact, in the third quarter – Uh, trade is set to be a pretty large contributor to GDP growth here in the U.S. Uh, But we do think, and that's, you know, that's not unusually. You ask about the temporal aspect, and, you know, everyone nowadays, particularly because the Fed is moving so aggressively, is talking about the long and variable lags. Uh, You know, one of the transmission mechanisms where it's probably the longest is the exchange rate channel. So we usually don't see uh, trade effects really manifest themselves um, you know, for a number of quarters. And, you know, you can see that in, you know, in the econometrics, which isn't very visceral, but just to take a recent example, if you think about um, the dollar move uh, in late 2014, which obviously continued on in 15, you were still feeling uh, the manufacturing, you know, suck wind into, you know, well into 2016. So um, we're expecting the latest dollar move to continue to weigh on growth, you know, even into 2024. For next year, we have uh, trade subtracting um, uh, about a percentage point, but then we have that, uh, you know, continuing on into um, uh, into 24. So we do think it's, you know, it, it spells pretty bad outcomes overall for manufacturers going forward.
0: Okay, that's really helpful because I think obviously hyper focus is on the Fed, so it's interesting that dollar impact is going to be felt next year and continue for two years or so. And that leads us then to Andrea from a micro perspective, which I always think it's really interesting to get the perspective of equity analysts covering companies from the ground up. So Andrea, I wanted to ask you, how are multinationals being impacted by currency moves? What are you seeing with companies in your space? And you cover some very large, very interesting multinationals.
3: Thank you, Sam, and all of your, uh, all of the investors on this call. I'm Andrea Teixeira, and as Sam said, I lead the team that covers beverages and household products in North America for JP Morgan. Um, and to your question, Sam, yes, of course, when the dollar appreciates, uh, converting those sales of multinationals abroad into U.S. dollars leads to a negative top line impact, which we call the translation impact. It's more of an accounting impact, but also, of course, leads to, um, um, the, the impact on the EPS, the headline numbers that we see uh, on the EPS side. And then on top of that, you you see many raw materials that are traded in U.S. dollars abroad. So in other words, uh, while companies tend to increase prices, I've that it's not an automatic pass-through, and sometimes does not happen – at all, since you know these companies compete with local players that report in local currency. So depending on which categories they're in, um, and also of course in the markets that they're in, how um, resilient the consumer is to um, to absorb those those price increases, and therefore becomes like more of an affordability issue for consumers in some parts of the world, and and definitely a more competitive decision by by the companies. So this is more called a transaction impact, and in many companies we can see the so-called called multiplier effect, which in other words is, let's say, the top-line impact, call it is mid-single digit, the bottom-line impact might be as much as, twice as much that in some multinationals. So the strong US dollar cycle, again, is not new, um, we have had, you know, in, in, in history, in most cases, the U.S. dollar has been a headwind for the multinational's results. Um, for EPS uh, in, in some of the multinational conference, uh, companies I like cover has been consistently at least two or three uh, percentage points uh, every year uh, on EPS. Obviously, the impact now is going to be more magnified and definitely could reach you know, a high single-digit impact on, on EPS.
0: That's really interesting. That's a perfect segue then to ask Mira about this time, which I know it's often blasphemy to say, is this time different? This time is different. But Mira, I know you've been covering FX markets for a while. You covered fixed income markets before that. This bout of USD strength we're seeing, is there anything that seems different to you and the team as opposed to any time in the past we've seen dollar strength?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, there's uh, obviously we're in a very different environment right now uh, from a macroeconomic standpoint. Uh, This level of uh, inflation, which is in double digits in many DMs, is not something that we've actually seen um, since, uh, you know, the 70s. And uh, so if you go back just in the last couple of decades and say, well, how does this cloud of dollar strength compare to other uh, periods of dollar strength, there are going to be quite a few differences. And I think the biggest one here that we've actually seen is um, really coming from how the central banks have chosen to respond to these high inflation pressures and how conversely you know, some of the other central banks, like in the EM, for example, have also chosen to respond to these inflation pressures. And I would say the first thing um, to highlight there is actually um, – you know, by the time the Fed started to hike rates this time around, about 50 percent to half of EM central banks um, uh, had already started on their own hiking cycles. And usually you don't see that, like if you go back in the last couple of decades or even three, usually, uh, you know, Fed tends to be a pretty early starter here. So in that sense, at least some of these Currencies which you would normally think of as high data currencies and that might be vulnerable to higher US rates would actually relatively well insulated from a yield and a carry standpoint because of this dynamic And actually if you take a look at what's so different about this cycle is that um, is that the high yielders have actually the high yielding Currencies that usually tends to be the likes of uh, you know at the moment uh, several latam um, Currencies which which offer quite high yield like Brazil uh, Mexico etc They've been actually quite insulated year to date compared to um, the low-yielding currencies, which uh, you know, which are usually viewed as the funders and uh, usually our G10 currencies like Euro and Yen. Those have been among the largest underperformers. So, what's interesting to me this year and what's really striking is that even with global growth having been revised down by multiple percentage points, risk markets like equities down, higher recession risks, we still find that if you look at the most profitable signals year to date actually buying high yielders and selling low yielders, the funders and selling G10 currencies has been actually the m- most profitable strategy and it's returned more than 10 percentage points here to date. And like I said, this is, you know, this is explained by fundamentals. It's explained by how central banks in DM versus EM have responded to inflation and how preemptive they are. But it's also a reflection of the fact that there were geopolitical events in play that again have not it's not something that we've seen uh, in recent history, and clearly you know the energy dependent story and the energy prices skyrocketing and weighing on some of these DM low yielding energy importers was a big part of this dynamic. so that is probably the biggest biggest difference this time around compared to say the last two decade history.
0: Okay, that was very illuminating. Um, Andrea, I wanted to ask then you started to t- touch on this, but if you can expand more. How are multinationals responding to currency moves, this time if they're doing anything different, hedging, operation changes? You mentioned previously about some pass-through to the consumer. So can you just talk through that in more depth?
3: Sure, Sam. Yes, absolutely. Most companies are trying to pass on to pricing, but like Mira said, this cycle around is is, is different, right? Uh, the weakness is not coming from the EM currencies, but the DM currencies. As you said, even the you know the Japanese yen, um, where this places where traditional inflation is is low. So that's harder for the multinationals that I cover to fully offset this price increase with price increases, because the retailers and the consumers are just not used, and they're places where you see a lot of private labels. So you can't really competitive pass through everything. Um, and what's happening is that what Hamira was saying is interesting, which uh, reminds me of my emerging markets um, background. Is the, the usual culprits would be the emerging market currencies like the Brazilian real or the Mexican peso, but that's that's you know oddly has been quite resilient. Um, so given the most that the most recent currency movements are in these places in the EMs, particularly in Europe and um, and uh, developed Asia. Um, we um, we are not seeing, and usually these price increases that we pass on to the consumers usually takes places in the beginning of the year. Uh, and this year we obviously saw the you know the conflict in, in in the Ukraine coming in later on. So most of these companies had already passed their you know annual price increases. So we do expect that these companies will uh... have to absorb by the uh, by this quarter and the next quarter. So uh, some of them were already guiding for pretty heavy headwinds, um, and and they were passing on high high single-digit to double-digit pricing due to the commodities. So you also have to layer the fact that there was a lot of inflation already in pricing for uh, for the consumer coming off from from a lot of the commodity pass-through, and that makes it harder now to do this. So there's a lot of um, thoughts and your companies are trying to do more premiumization, price architecture to do in a way that consumers wouldn't feel that much. Uh, but again, I don't think – and the hedges, as you correctly pointed out, the problem that we are seeing, even though the companies are reporting recently, is that the hedges are rolling over, and now it's obviously more expensive to hedge, both from a commodity standpoint and also from a currency standpoint. But a lot of these companies, multinationals, hedge the G10 currencies. So we see that lag, and I think going back to what Mike Creoli had commented uh, before, we are going to see, because of the hedges, we're going to see a lot of these impacts flowing through into fiscal 23 as well, into calendar and fiscal 23.
0: That's interesting. I was going to say it was analogous to what Mike mentioned around the lags and the dynamics of that. So it sounds like... The micro earnings front, macro trade GDP front, this is going to be a force that's felt next year and the year after. So back to Mike then. Um, this idea of, of I kind of, I guess, a divide between perception and reality on how factors and variables are connected, can you talk us through dollar to inflation, that relationship? Is it clean cut? Is it not? How do you and your team think about that?
2: Yeah, so, you know, whereas the effect of the dollar on activity and GDP is large and probably larger than you might imagine, the effect of the dollar on inflation is generally not that large, maybe smaller than you might expect. So, uh, a decent rule of thumb uh, supported by the data is that a 10% move in the dollar, this time the nominal dollar, might translate into about a quarter of a percentage point on core PCE. Uh, So, with core PCE running... Is a move in the right direction. And we have seen, to be sure, uh, core import prices, which index fuel import prices, decline each of the past four months. Uh, so presumably we may start seeing that in core goods prices in CPI and PCE reports.
0: Okay. And then last question for you on the macro front financial okay. conditions and the Fed. Does the dollar strength, um, does it have any impact on what the Fed may or may not do going forward? And then I want to acknowledge that this is a slightly normative question, but in your view, is there such a thing as too much dollar strength? Is that a possibility?
2: Yeah. I mean, the dollar strength is, you know, it's a feature, not a flaw of the Fed's tightening. Uh, You know, there are several transmission mechanisms, and the exchange rate channel is one of them. Uh, So, you know, the move up in the dollar mortgage rates, the decline, and equity prices, these are all things that the Fed is trying to engineer. here but we're you know we're getting closer to that point where the risks at least looking forward appear are starting to get perhaps into balance maybe by year-end we can kind of start to see risks maybe not balanced but at least starting to you know the seesaw starting to swing the other way so to speak
0: thank you and thanks for joining on payrolls I don't know if I said that already um, <laughs> no Problem, Andrea I know you're headed into er- next week and you're going to be very busy. So could you provide us a preview of Q3 earnings, what you're expecting? Dollar strength, is that something you're hearing in guidance from company management, more or less than perhaps normal or the last couple of quarters?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. Companies have been quite vocal in recent conferences. Investor conferences saying that, you know, obviously the the currencies ahead land. It will depend, of, it's always very complex uh, on an intra-quarter basis. They will not guide, uh, be very prescriptive, but I would expect some of them having to um, to increase their, uh, their headwinds. They're, they expect for the end of the year because the intra-quarter movements were really, really um, high. I wouldn't be surprised if they some of them have to potentially lower um, their numbers. Um, on the back of that, we've seen... When you look in aggregate, like um, valuation-wise and how stocks have performed, um, if you take the pure multinationals against what they call the domestic-centric names um, or um, US-centric dedicated companies, uh, you have seen that happen already. So in other words, like the buy side and investors are bracing for that.
0: Okay, thank you.
3: And we're gonna end with Mira. So, Mira,
0: zoom out for us. You already talked a bit about global currency dynamics and the landscape with the relative nature of growth, but are there other currencies to to watch?
1: Are there other currencies to keep a particular
0: eye on right now?
1: Sure, so I already mentioned um, euro dollar where our target is ninety five and we're bearish dollar CNH, where uh, dollar c and y we think um is uh the target is now 1040 so remain long there and those are obviously the key currencies to watch here but i'd say on a more micro level probably ones to keep an eye on that are most interesting and going through a bit of a structural shift at the moment um are dollar yen and um and sterling uh, i'll start with sterling first because i think we are in a very um in sort of an unprecedented uh situation at least in at least in recent history with dm uh with dm uh, uh, currencies where um you know where where the, the, the administration has basically uh, committed to a large fiscal package and uh you know in normal circumstances uh, a large fiscal package is considered, you know, obviously it's growth supportive, uh, tends to uh, help the currency out as well. But in this case, it's kind of interesting because um, you also have a situation where um, where the uh, UK is um, already has a pretty large current account uh, current account deficit. So if you think about, you know, where the current account deficit is, it's uh, for the UK on a one year rolling basis, uh, it's between four and five percent. Uh, of GDP, that's among the largest globally. Um, on a quarterly basis, you know, the last couple of quarters, the pace has been uh, between, uh, you know, sort of sort of six, six to seven percent of GDP. Uh, you know, with the initial print as large as eight percent of GDP. So these are these are pretty large numbers. And and the bottom line there is that if you have large fiscal spending and large fiscal deficits, and you have a large current account deficit, uh, then you do have a situation where interest rates actually need to be higher to attract that capital inflow into, um, into the UK. So, um, you know, we are, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of pricing for the BOE, and I think the next couple of weeks is gonna be quite critical. Uh, but net net, um, uh, you know, suffice it to say uh, that uh, if we get the sense that the BOE is not quite meeting uh, what the market expectation of a hike is going into uh, the November meeting, then uh, the currency is gonna have to be the release valve here uh, to sort of compensate for that lack of um, inflation vigilance, um, so to speak. Um, and so and, and currency is going to have to weaken to attract those foreign capital inflows. Um, and so for, for sterling, we are recommending underweights right now. If we do get a situation that the BOE has actually uh, provided um, that support uh, and actually hikes rates, then um, then we'll have a situation where um, where the growth outlook is going to be substantially worsened as well. So sterling is one to keep an eye on. And then lastly, um, I'll just wrap up at dollar-yen, where we're going through a bit of an unprecedented situation as well, where uh, the, the Ministry of Finance is actually intervening uh, to prevent the currency from weakening, but the central bank is keeping its monetary policy quite dovish, and, and that's really what's causing the central bank, uh, the currency to weaken. Uh, we think dollar-yen still heads higher uh, despite this intervention flow. And we're looking for dollar yen to be 147 and potentially touch 150 as well.
0: Thank you, Mira. So a lot to watch and a lot to watch going forward on the dollar and currency dynamics. We are right at the half hour. We wanted to do this short and sweet and we did it. So I wanna thank Mira, Mike and Andrea for their time and expertise. And I wanna thank everyone for joining. I hope this was helpful. I know I thought it was really interesting and I'm not just saying that because I was the moderator. So thank you, everyone. And that concludes
2: today's call. Stay tuned for more episodes of At Any Rate, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for informational purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 copyright J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. All rights reserved.